Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The 289th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! The are going to win the national championship. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. It's exam week uh, on the campus at UNC and throughout college basketball. And so we figured we would come on here and uh, exam in the, the start of the season for... I, I did not sign off on, on that. Oh, it was your idea. At the um, start. Oh. But we're here to, to kind of break down the, the start of the season for Carolina. They're in this 10-day layoff. Didn't want to go 10 days without talking some Carolina hoops with you guys. So we're going to look at the start of this season, compare it to the, the first two uh, months or so, the last couple of years under Hubert Davis, um, and, and answer and ask some important questions throughout the remainder of the non-conference season. But before we do any of that, we start every edition of the pod, as we always do, with the pod thought of the day. And we go to a fella by the name of Bob Feller. And the pod thought is, is, quote, every day is a new opportunity. You can build on yesterday's success or put its failures behind and start over again. The way That's the way that life is with a new game every day. And, you know, I think... Um, that's something that, I mean, I talk about that a lot, about building off of what you did right previously and shoring up the areas and your, short, and, and, and your shortcomings and, and, and the other areas. 
And I think for as much as any Tar Heel team has the first month or so of the season, this team has done that. Like, this team has identified the things that they do really, really well, which is get the ball to R.J. Davis and Harrison Ingram in scoring opportunities. They get to the foul line. Um, They do a really good job at that. But we've also learned, and we talked about this a lot coming out of the UConn loss, that they, I think they really know the areas that they got to get better. And the the challenge is going to be, and the goal is going to be, to shore those deficiencies up as much as you can throughout the remainder of the non-conference season, which features two top 14 teams in Oklahoma and Kentucky, before you get into your 19-game ACC gauntlet having already played one ACC game. And so um, I think that's why we're very encouraged is that we've seen some things from this team that we haven't seen in previous starts to the season. And that's a big reason why, you know, locally Carolina fans are optimistic about this team. Um, but you go back to the interview I did with Nada Edwards, he's very uh, optimistic about this group. Jay Williams said during the UConn game that the Tar Heels can win a national championship. So the national pundits have also really looked at this Carolina team and identified them as one that can be a contender as we get closer and closer to March. Let's look at that. Let's, let's, let's take a look at the Tar Heels. Examine them, if you will. Carolina is seven and two on the season. They got one win so far in a, in, in the ACC. A win over Florida State, who uh, lost by sixteen over the weekend to South Florida. So, don't know how much that Florida State win now means as much as it did a few weeks ago when Carolina erased a double digit deficit because South Florida isn't a basketball powerhouse by any means, but um, that is the lone ACC win for Carolina. The new AP the, the new AP poll is out for this week. Carolina didn't move. Still ranked ninth in the AP poll. That makes this weekend's contest with Kentucky a top 14 matchup in the CBS Sports Classic. Um, Carolina is averaging 85.1 points per game. That's 24th best in college basketball. Um, According to Ken Palm and their rankings, Carolina ranks 16th overall um, in in the country, and their offensive rating of 119.0 is the 7th best in the country. Of course, we know by now that the net rankings are out in full force. Carolina finds itself right now ranked 36th in the net. And so when you factor all that stuff in, the record, um, where Carolina finds itself positioned in the AP poll, where Kempom has it, has anything taken you by surprise in the first month and a half of the season, knowing that coming in, like myself, you picked this team to make the Final Four? Uh, I mean... Yeah, I, I would say there are some things that that have certainly surprised you. I, I don't know if we thought that it would click quite this quickly uh, when it comes to some of the chemistry that we've seen and everything like that. Um, I think that Harrison Ingram is probably a pleasant surprise for the way that he has played. Um, I think a lot of people expected that he would be a really solid contributor to Carolina. I don't think that there were many people that expected that uh, you could make the case that he's been arguably your best player. Um, and then, you know, there are some 
things that I think have surprised people, uh, you know, a little bit on on the other side, which is, you know, Cormac Ryan struggling to shoot the way that he has. Um, Armando Baycott not being able to return to the dominant force that it looked like he was going to be able to be uh, after the first three games of the season. Uh, but I think even with that, you can sort of take positives away from that because both of those guys are major contributors. And if you would have told me before the season that those guys don't get off to their greatest starts and this Carolina team still finds a way to be 7-2, and two, they only have losses to uh, a Villanova team that was incredibly physical. Uh, it was a game that Carolina probably should have won uh, with you know their execution. And if the game was called probably the the way it should have been from the referees. Um, and then, you know, you lose to a team that probably has a great opportunity to repeat as national champs in UConn. I think we would all take it. And I think right now, you know, we feel more than justified with where we're at right now with this team, uh, that, that they could be a Final Four team than, they, than we felt back in the offseason season. When we were saying that, those were bold predictions at the time. And that was, you know, as we said at the time, probably our most bold prediction. Although mine of Elliot Cadeau leading college basketball in assists per game is is probably my boldest one. But uh, I, I do think that that was part of us just reaching to be a little bit bold. Now, it seems like there, there are some real things here. Like Carolina, at this point, you could definitely make the case they are the best team in the ACC. I find it hard to believe you can make a different case otherwise uh, unless you're just a fan of another team. So uh, it, it is amazing how quickly things have come together, and it's a lot of credit to the players. It's also a lot of credit to Hubert Davis and his staff for what they've done out of the gate this year. In a year where we talked about it coming in, it was really all or nothing for this group if they wanted to continue at Carolina. Yeah, I mean, for me, I as as much as I was excited to see Carolina play offensively, I've been taken back at just how effective they've been the first month and a half or so of the season. Um, we said it coming on after the Radford game, and I've said it throughout different times throughout the first month and a half of the year. Man, this is vintage Carolina basketball in a lot of ways on that end of the court. Um, and not to say that I didn't think it was going to happen because I picked them to make the Final Four. That's only going to happen if you're a really good offensive team. I just didn't expect it this this quickly. I mean, out of the gate, pretty much Carolina, one of the best offensive teams in the country. Um, and that 85.1 point-per-game average, as more games get played it's, and the Carolina keeps scoring in the 80s, they're going to climb up among being one of the best high among the highest scoring teams in all the country um and, and you know i think that really it really justifies Hubert Davis's decision and his vision for the way Carolina wants to play basketball um i know the way that Roy Williams played basketball produced 900 you know 900 something wins nine final fours and and three national championships but it was time for the program to evolve and play basketball the modern way, the way that is being played right now. It took three years ultimately for Carolina to get there with, you know, roster holdovers, a deep run to the national title game makes it hard to really get some guys out that still didn't fit the way that Huber Davis wants to play. But that was the thing that last year offered you when you failed. It made it easier for him to say, no, I'm going to get my guys. I'm going to get the guys that, 
you know, want to play that I that, that that fit the way I want to play. Um, and so that's that's been really surprising. Um, and then I'm not gonna lie, if if there was a negative surprise, um, I've been I've been surprised at the rebounding struggles. I I, I really have. Because that's a that's a staple of this program, um, and the Carolina played small under Roy Williams. You go back to Marcus Page's freshman season when they inserted PJ Harrison in and played with basically four guards in the big. Roy Williams only did that because they competed and battled on the boards. You go back to when Luke May was a fixture of the team in the starting lineup. He was a he was a smaller four man, uh, but yet Carolina still competed on the glass and held their own on the glass. And so that's something that, you know, knowing that Carolina was always going to trend that way, them not being the best rebounding team. And look, I don't expect them to be the best rebounding team um, because, you know, three guard lineups don't, don't, don't lend to that. But I have been taken back that a program that values rebounding as much as any program in the country um, has has struggled in that department in the first month or so of the season. I did want to look back at how this 7-2 and two start compares and contrasts to the first two seasons for Carolina. Um, so what I did was I went back to the closest date um, to where we are today, which is December 11th. You go back last year, on December 10th, Carolina was 6-4. and four. Um, and had a four-game losing streak that took Carolina from number one in the polls to completely unranked. Um, Carolina would get back in the polls one more time the rest of the year. They'd be ranked number 25 before they lost at Pittsburgh um, in late December, and after that, Carolina would not be ranked the rest of the season. You go back to Huber Davis's first season, and Carolina had a, on December 11th, Carolina was the same record that they are now. They were 7-2 and two like this team is, um, but they were 1-2 and two against ranked opponents. They beat Michigan at home in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the first real marquee win under Huber Davis as Carolina's head basketball coach, but they got blown out in losses to Purdue and Tennessee in the Hall of Fame tip-off classic. You look at Carolina's record right now where they're 7-2. and two. They, They've got a win over a ranked opponent, um, that being uh, Tennessee at home in the ACC-SEC Challenge. So that compares to that home win over Michigan two years ago. But the two losses haven't come via blowout. You lost by two to Villanova in the battle for Atlantis. Um, and the battle for Atlantis is to Villanova what the Maui Invitational is to Carolina. Um, they're perfect there. They've won it three times, and with that, that means they've never lost. And then you lost a tough, hard-fought game to UConn in the Jimmy V Classic in a game that was 65-60 to at the most important part of the game in the second half, and the defending national champions um, were able to pull away and earn another marquee win in Stores South. So when you look at this 7-2 and two start compared to last year's 6-4 and four start and 2021-2022's 7-2 and two start, how does this start to the season either compare or, con- or contrast to the first two seasons under Huber Davis? Well, I mean, I think you you laid it out perfectly there. It's just that, you know, 
they, they've gotten off to good starts at times, especially you, you mentioned it, that, that you know they got off to a good start in his first season. But the problem is is that they didn't beat anybody significant. Um, not not the way that they have this year. And it feels like you know there, there was some pressure on Carolina in the game against Arkansas. You needed to step up. You needed to find a way to win that game and salvage your trip out to Atlantis. You were losing at halftime. You find a way to do it. Then you have a chance to make a statement at home against Tennessee. In the last few years, especially once Tennessee started to find a way to claw their way back into the game, that was a game where Carolina probably finds a way to lose it. They they don't. They keep their composure, and they pick up a huge win. I, I think right now is the most confident that we have been in a Tar Heel team at this point in the season since the 2018-2019 season. I, I really I really do. I think I think we've gotten to the point now where we can confidently say that. Does that mean that Carolina is for sure going to get um make make a deep run in the tournament? Uh that they're going to win the ACC regular season? No. But I feel that we're at a point where we can actually feel comfortable about where this team is at. The last couple of years, we've been sitting here, and even if we didn't admit it, we knew in the back of our minds there's a problem. This team is not clicking. And this year, it feels completely different with this team. It feels like this team's in a good rhythm. Yeah, you want to see them clean some things up defensively. I think that's the other area we didn't really talk about in terms of what we're concerned about. I mean, rebounding is a part of it, but just you know, the, the some of the games that we've seen Carolina have defensively, I think has been uh, you know something that's that's been shocking because we. I, I mean, Carolina's had their struggles on that end of the floor at times. It's rare that we've seen them struggle, especially to take away one single guy like we have uh, at times this year. So, um, I, I, but, but even with that, I still feel like Carolina is playing their pace. They're controlling all these games, and if they continue to do that, I feel pretty confident that they can build off of this momentum, beat you know a Kentucky team that's not really as good as we thought they were earlier in the year beat a team that's on the rise in Oklahoma but you'll be in uh you know in, in your own home state home crowd will be there for that one and I think build on that as they go into conference play the only thing that compares to the first two years isn't it's it's not it's not positive stuff it's it's defensive issues and and shooting issues um be, because Carolina, the first two years under Huber Davis, struggled out defensively, um, and they weren't great shooting teams coming out of the gate. This year, this team has struggled defensively since the battle for Atlantis, and they've yet to shoot the ball the way that, on a consistent basis, the way that they're capable of. The contrast is is that this this looks completely different. This is night and day. Like, if you go and look at Carolina from two years ago um, in November and December when they were 7-2, and two, it looks completely different now. Carolina is more competitive top to bottom in big games and big moments than they have been at any point outside of the, the tournament run from two years ago. Like like this 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 team last year, and I know that the the loss to Alabama was in 
was in four overtimes, and Bama would go on to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, you go back in the end, look, the Iowa State game was was rather close, but you got blown out by a bad Indiana team, and you got ran out of the gym by a mediocre, at you know, subpar at best Virginia Tech team. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't – after the UConn game, and I went into that game with reservations, in the back of my mind I was worried – Carolina was going to get blown out because in those moments on that stage under this coach with this core of, of, of kids, mainly Baycott and, and, and Davis, we've seen that happen. For me, that 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 game solidified it. Look, Carolina's going to lose more games along the way. Schedule's too doggone difficult for them to, to run the table the rest of the season. But I don't I don't question if this team is going to show up. I don't question that this team is not going to compete for 40 minutes. And, man, that's a really big deal because this is Carolina basketball. So you've always got the talent. You've always got the ability on the roster. It's what do you do with it? How do you how do you motivate that talent to play at its best? And, you know, this group is as motivated a team I've seen um, under Hubert Davis to start the season. They're as hungry a team that we've seen to start the season. Like, this team has played the first nine games the way we thought last year's team would play, with the hunger and a desperation to get back to the Final Four, win the national championship. But that didn't happen a year ago. Like, this team, from the moment they they, they tipped the season, went through the motions, and for whatever reason – they never looked completely bought in. Couldn't handle the pressure. Um, you know, they, they never look. I mean, they, this was a group that if you go back to the reading or the reporting after they lost to Virginia in the ACC tournament, I mean, Brendan Marks, Josh Graham, opinions of guys that I value. This was a group that looked relieved that their season was over. Look at look at the look, and look, you've got two guys back from that group a year ago. Even in the wins, they're talking about the ways that they need to improve, the ways they need to get better. Um, they, they 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 fight for one another, they play for one another, and man, it, it's it's really it's really refreshing because um look, the, the the winning is the most important, like it's the most important thing. Like we're here to watch this team win because this is what we're used to as Carolina fans. But I, I'm having fun again as a fan. And if I'm being honest with you guys, I haven't had fun in November and December since 2019. Like ever since then, the writing, the blog, and, and the podcasting was a job. It was a chore at times to sit on here and talk about this team and this program because it just wasn't the same. It wasn't It wasn't fun. I don't know how good this team is ultimately going to be. I picked them to be a Final Four team. I think they're very capable of being a Final Four team. But even if they're not, I know that I'm going to, to have fun night in, night out when I put this team on my television. And to me, that's a big deal. Because I want to have fun watching a team that I love play the game that I love. And this team has brought back that joy to me as a fan. Now, moving forward, um, Carolina's got some tough games, as we mentioned, the rest of the way in non-conference season. you got a Kentucky team uh, this Saturday in Atlanta. Um, a team that, like Carolina, very capable of making the Final Four. 
But they, you know, this is a team that lost at home to UNC Wilmington. This is also a team that beat Miami at home by 22. And we, everyone knows how highly we think of Jim Laranega and Miami basketball on here. And then they've got an Oklahoma team that Porter Mosier, it's taken some time in Norman after he left Loyola Chicago for, for the Sooners, but he's got them looking like a legitimate threat and contender in the Big 12, which is arguably the best basketball conference right now in the country. When you look at this Carolina team, what areas do they need to improve the most in the remainder of the non-conference season before they get into the remainder of the ACC slate? Well, I mean, we talked about it, and we've said it a lot here recently. This team needs to be better in the half court defensively. Um, they, they've shown at times this year that they can uh, re- they can really make the full court press work, but it's something that this team is not equipped to be able to do for 40 minutes. You're going to wear your team out if you end up doing that. So uh, they they that was their biggest issue again the other night. You look at what the, the reason why they weren't able to beat UConn. Yeah, there were mistakes that they made. They weren't able to finish at the basket. But ultimately, if you can find ways to get stops, you scored 76 points. That should be enough to win the game. But that's the point that Carolina is at right now. They need to do a better job of protecting the lane. They have to do a better job of defending without fouling, which was an issue in Atlantis. So really, on that end of the floor in the half court, they simply have to be better. And that's where some of your transfers have to step up. Cormac Ryan has to be better than he's shown. Um, You'd like to see Jalen Withers provide something defensively off the bench, especially if he's going to continue to be a guy that struggles offensively. Um, And you need your guards to do a better job of just staying in front of guys. Um, And then, yeah, you pointed to the other area that Carolina needs to get better, which is rebounding. Um, There are going to be some physical teams that they're going to play along the way, mainly the Duke Blue Devils. If you can't rebound against them, it's going to be hard to see you beating them unless you just shoot the lights out. So uh, you want to see them be able to handle that physicality a little bit more. And then in terms of the individual players, I mean, it goes back to two of the guys that I talked about at the start. With Armando Baycott, you want to see more consistency. You're one guy at home. You're an outstanding player. You're an All-American type of player. On the road, at times, you've disappeared. You need to be the player that you are in the Smith Center when Carolina goes on the road or goes into some of these neutral sites that they're going to take on here in their next two games. And then with Cormac Ryan, look, great veteran leader. His uh, his emotion on the floor is welcome. But at the same time, when this team needs you to make big shots, that's part of the reason that they brought you in. You have to step up on that end, and they need you to be better defensively as well if Carolina is going to reach their peak. You know, you, you you mentioned defensively Carolina's giving up 73.7 points per game. Um, and I think part of that is the byproduct of the way Carolina's playing, the, the, the tempo that they're playing with. The more possessions you play, the more points you give up. Um, but they do need to get better in half-court situations, not being as easily broken down. And then the rebounding, you know, Carolina's averaging 38.8 total rebounds per game. That's 90th in the country. And look, the more games that you play, these numbers will work themselves out. Carolina, I think, you know, the magic number for me has has always been 40 rebounds a game. Like, you get to 40 rebounds or above – I would uh, I would consider you an elite rebounding team. I mean, you would be probably top five in the country. So. Um, and look, here's the thing: maybe this is me asking too much. I think it's capable. 
I think they're capable of averaging oh, I don't know about that, that many rebounds. But it comes back to, and we talked about this, it was either after the UConn game or it was after the, the, the game before that. They've got to be team rebounding games, UNC rebounding games. But five's going to get his. Armando's going to get his 11, 12, 13, however many rebounds a night. But you need, and look, Harrison Ingram's doing his part, averaging, I think, over six rebounds a game. You need the other guys, mainly Cormac Ryan, when Jalen Withers is on the court, Seth Trimble on the court, when J-Dub, when when Jalen Washington's on the court. Like, those guys, they've got to be a rebounding presence. And there's got to be a commitment to, to sending five guys to the defensive glass and at least three guys to the offensive glass to really elevate themselves as a rebounding team. The area I want to talk about is the perimeter shooting. Um, Carolina is shooting 36% from behind the three-point line, which is 89th in the country, and they're making seven threes per game. But uh, to me, it feels like that number's got to go up a tick. You need to get that percentage into 37-ish, 38-ish percent from behind the three-point line. And I know that doesn't seem like a lot. Guys, that's a lot. Um, and you need the makes to probably get closer to nine for for you to really be the the type of offensive team that you're capable of being. You're getting the three-point production from R.J. Davis and Harrison Ingram. Um, and R.J. was 4 of 8 against UConn, and Harrison Ingram has shot north of 40% from behind the three-point line to start the season. Cormac Ryan entered the UConn game shooting shooting 29% and was 0 for 6. Like, it, it feels like for whatever reason, it's taking him a little bit longer adjusting to the perimeter. When he puts the ball on the floor and attacks the basket, good things happen. He, he, he's finishing at the rim, drawing fouls, going to the foul line and all that. Well, we, we also have to mention, I mean, the ankle is, is probably playing a factor because, of course... He had his two best games before he hurts the ankle. He had the the second half against Northern Iowa. He hurts the ankle in the game against Villanova. And then since then, he hasn't been great. It felt like he was getting in a rhythm. So who knows? Maybe once he gets a little bit healthier, maybe this, this rest period will allow him to do that. Could come out. Getting a little bit of a rhythm. Yeah, I mean, look, you got you got ten days. Um, if if you're not healthy after this, you won't be healthy the rest of the season. Like because from here on out, you don't you don't have a ten days in between games to to get off your feet and and, and treat your body. Um, I think the one thing you got to like about Cormac Ryan is the shot selection is fine. He's not taking bad shots. Like Carolina's gotten rid of that. He's taking good shots, shots within the offense. But they need to fall. He needs to become a third perimeter option for this team if they want to reach that next level and really cement itself um, as a national title contender. This one might be interesting because we, I, I would imagine, we'll have we'll have different answers to this question. What question needs to be answered? the most by the end of non-conference play. Ooh. Um and if you need a minute I've I've got my answer prepared. I mean, yeah, I I would I would say the half court defense definitely. You need to figure out really this is what it is and it doesn't have to be the right answer. You got to figure out if you're a team that can defend in the half court or you can't. 
Because right now, well, the problem I would say is, you can't. The, I, so I think the issue is is that your best offensive five isn't your best defensive five. Yeah, and but vice I mean, versa, you, like, you got to figure out who is actually going to step up on that end of the floor. And is this is this a team that is going to be in shootouts the entire way? It feels that way. And and if that's the case, then you know what you have to do offensively, game in and game out once you get into conference play. So to me, that's the most important thing you've got to learn. Is there something in there defensively? Can this team get themselves on track in the half court? Or is it going to be where this team has to press to be able to defend in games? And if, if they do, then you know, okay, look, we've got to... We've got to be very efficient on the offensive end of the floor. You want to do that anyways, but you know that, look, there are going to be games where we are simply going to have to just outscore the opponent, and if we don't, then we're going to lose games. So I think you'll learn a lot about yourself in these next two games against two teams that can score the ball at a pretty high level. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I said it after the UConn game. Um, zone needs to be on the table for this group mm-hmm. um, because what zone defenses do is they hide your deficiencies. It does make it harder to rebound. Uh, we saw that. We see that every time we play Syracuse, that their 2-3 zone allows them to be exposed in that area of the game. But, you know, you're doing it like – now, Syracuse perfected it. Like, their 2-3 zone matchup, pro, you know, is a matchup problem for many teams. But some of these teams that play zone, they're doing it because they can't guard they, – they, they, can't, they can't guard the ball. Um, they struggle right – you know, they, they, no matter what it is. So I think that needs to be on the table. For me, my question is this. Who's scoring for you off the bench? You you know that your starting five is going to put the ball in the basket, but and we've seen this since and this was always going to happen. So I'm not I'm not complaining about this. But once Elliot Cadeau became a starter, your bench got a little bit shorter in in in, in more ways than one. Right now, I don't mind. Like I want Seth Trimble on the court. I still want Jalen Withers on the court. I want Jalen Washington on the court. But who's scoring for you? And that's the, that to me I think that's what's really going to if Carolina gets consistent bench scoring I think they get into that echelon of top tier teams in the country. But if if you can't get scoring off the bench and maybe as Paxson Wojcik continues his adjustment from the Ivy Leagues to the ACC level and he's no longer a starter but coming off the bench, maybe he becomes that guy. But somebody has to emerge off the bench that can put the ball in the basket on a consistent basis for Carolina. Because if not, the reality is, is Schubert Davis will go back to playing seven players by the time we hit the ACC part of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. I mean, here's the thing. If you can get guys that can defend on the other end of the floor and you've still got scores that that's the one thing that's different about this Carolina team is that they have so many guys in the starting lineup that can score the ball at a high level um you know RJ Davis Harrison Ingram Armando Baycott you'd like to believe Cormac Ryan can get there um so with those guys I mean look how often are you going to have all of those guys off the floor I mean unless you get into just a crazy situation with foul trouble you would imagine that one of those guys will be on the floor at a time and I trust that the rest of the guys can find a way to scrap and get you enough but look it is a legitimate concern 
I don't think he will ever go to just playing seven. I think that he likes some of, like, Seth Trimble is a guy that's going to be a part of the group moving forward. I think if you're looking for your guy that could break out and be your the, the guy that starts scoring off the bench for you, it's probably him. I think there is something there. I think we saw it coming out of high school. That was the reason we were so excited about him. Um, we loved what he could do defensively, but we thought this was a dude that can get to the basket and get his own bucket. Hopefully that's something that sort of, you know, emerges for him as the season goes along. Um, and then I, I would not sleep on Jalen Washington either. The more opportunities that he gets, I like the way that he plays uh, inside and, and plays through contact uh, on the offensive end. I think he's got a ways to go on the defensive end when it comes through dealing with contact. Uh, but I, I think that's probably the other guy that you look at. Um, and maybe Wojcik, although I got to tell you, I mean, unless... Unless he builds off of what he did in Carolina's last game against UConn, this dude was starting to see his minutes get cut severely. So he's got to really pick it up. I could see it getting probably to eight. That might be the shortest that they go. But I think part of the advantage that Carolina has had is the depth on this team. And I think it's something that Hubert Davis is going to want to keep rolling with this year, especially after last year his guys just got so worn down from how much he played them. The last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, and I I believe we both had this team finishing top three in the ACC when we did preseason, true or false. Um, We've seen the struggles that Duke has had to start the year, and you've gotten uneven results from Miami and Virginia. You've had the emergence of a Clemson team that's ranked um, in the top, I think, 15 or so in 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 the country. Um, but it's it's Clemson basketball under Brad Brownell. I mean, you're talking about a Clemson program that in 2007 started 17 and 0 and missed the NCAA tournament. So when you look at the struggles of Duke, and then what we've seen from Miami getting blown out by Kentucky. Virginia getting blown out by a Wisconsin team that is a, is a top 25 team, but nonetheless beat Virginia by 25. Is Carolina now in a position to compete for their first ACC regular season title since 2019? I, I mean, I think they got to be. You know, you I said it earlier. You look at some of the other results around the league. Um, I'm not super confident in Virginia. I know that they, they've been solid at a conference. One of their biggest games that they played at a conference was Wisconsin. They lost that game by 24, and I believe it was at home. Right? No, it was in a neutral site. It was in a neutral site, but still. I mean, you got destroyed. You scored 41 points in the game against a Wisconsin team that isn't necessarily that great. Uh, Duke's had some struggles out of the gate. A lot of people compare what they've seen to Duke to a lot of what we saw from Carolina last year. Now, the thing is, they're young guys, so they could – potentially get better as the season goes along where it felt like with Carolina last year it was a veteran group that kind of just lost their way and never recovered but still you have to wonder and then Miami oh my god you're talking about a team that was just punked by Colorado I mean what did they lose by 22 in that game the other night so I mean Carolina's opportunity is here it feels like right now they are playing the best basketball in the ACC and look the tests that they have had early on in the season are really helping them Um, you're you're seeing this team grow and you know again we're talking about this team playing maybe the best basketball in the conference without Armando Baycott playing 
as consistently as we would like him, with Cormac Ryan struggling to shoot from the field, and with this team having so many questions defensively, I, I mean, it's hard not to feel like Carolina is in a great spot to win the ACC regular season title when it's all said and done. Depending on what Carolina does against Kentucky and Oklahoma, they might enter the ACC season as the as the favorite. Um, if Carolina sweeps them, uh, to me there'll be there'll be no doubt that Carolina would have cemented itself as the favorite to win the league. If they go one and one, I think they're still mentioned in the same breath um, as Duke because Duke has the highest ceiling of any team in the league. If they go 0-2, then I think we, we, we back off of this and say, nope, maybe top three's in play, but you know, winning the league is probably too far-fetched. And so um, I think what Carolina has done more so in this month and a half is position itself for a strong rest of the season, better than they did in 2021-22, and better than what they did a year ago. And that's that's important. Um, you know, I just had Nada Edwards on from the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you listen to that, Matt, Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish talk about how important November and December are from a resume standpoint, which Carolina's already on its way to building an NCAA tournament resume, but also just laying the groundwork and the foundation for a strong conference season. Carolina didn't necessarily do that the last two years. It feels like they have this year, and it's why I think they are poised to win their first ACC regular season title in what feels like forever, but not since 2019 when they shared it with Virginia. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HealToughBlog.com where, guys, it's busy. Um, a lot of news on the football side of things, more transfer portals uh, news. DJ Jones is in the portal, but also you've got the NFL draft news. Miles Murphy, Cedric Gray, and as we expected, uh, Drake May, they have all declared for the NFL draft. Anthony has you covered with all those announcements and decisions and what it means for Carolina moving forward. As for basketball, of course, I'm taking you through the season. A um, couple pending articles that will be up on the site as well. Going to let the football stuff really dominate the stuff for right now, but we'll be back getting you ready for the, the for the Kentucky game later in the week. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, is this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.